Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Whole Lawyer Project, which highlights Asian American attorneys and leaders throughout the nation and the human stories behind their success. I am your host, Jane Zhang, and on behalf of the Asian American Bar Association of New York, I am super pleased to introduce you to Glenn Magpentai, who is a seasoned nonprofit executive, a longtime civil rights attorney, a law school professor, and activist for over the past 30 years. Glenn is a co-founder and former executive director of the National Queer Asian Pacific Islander Alliance, where he oversaw the organization's trainings, advocacy on immigration rights, and visibility and family acceptance campaigns. He is also a nationally recognized civil rights attorney at the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. He's an authority on the Federal Voting Rights Act and an expert on Asian American political participation. Currently, Glenn continues to inspire legal minds by teaching at Brooklyn Law School, and he serves as a professor of Asian American studies at Hunter College and Columbia University. Glenn, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Jane. It's great to be here. So let's get it started. Tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? Who were some of the biggest influences of your life? I'm Asian, so the biggest influence is my parents. Right? <laughs> They're the ones who struggled, who came here in 1965, right after the immigration restrictions were lifted. And they were mm. one of the first generations of Asian Americans to come to the United States. They settled in New York, grew up in Queens, and I was the only Asian on the block. There weren't a lot of people back in the 1970s who looked like me. And so it was difficult. And how do you think that shaped you in terms of the person you are today? I came out, I was the only Asian American in the community. And when I was a teenager, I'm also gay, and I came out in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. It was the height of the HIV and AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. And back then, I was convinced I was going to catch AIDS and die. I was one of those young people who wanted to commit suicide. I was not white. I was not American. And and I was alone. Mm. And so that was a difficult. And so that was a difficult process. But because of a couple of women, white women and African American women, they supported me and helped me. I got through. I did not kill myself. Mm. I got through college and I went to law school. And in law school, it was still a difficult time, but I did great. I graduated at the top of my class, made law review. I made law review twice. Mm-hmm. I wrote on because I didn't think I would grade on. And then I found I graded on. So I got there two times. Mm-hmm. My parents thought that, oh, he's not as dumb as we thought he was. <laughs> I thought that I would give back. And when I saw the injustice that women, communities of color, lesbian and gay back then, we didn't include the word trans back then, encountered, I said, no one else should ever go through what I had gone through. They should never think about killing themselves and deal with harassment, bullying, death threats for who they are. Mm. And it was these women and an African-American woman who's a former Black Panther who helped me find out that I can survive and thrive and that I can change the world. How exactly does she help you? Uh, And I ask this on behalf of the people who are still struggling today, right? The mental health struggles, the discrimination, the harassment that you face, it still goes on in various different forms today. If you could look back on the Glenn 
30 years ago. What would you tell him and, and what kind of help would be helpful for someone in his position today? For all the teenagers that are out there, it gets better. And you are not alone. Our communities have endured for over five millennia. We have been through much. Our parents have sacrificed greatly to bring us to this country. They brought you to a country where it's so much better than back home. And while that is can be challenged because of what is happening here, it is undeniable what our parents have done for us, how much better the quality of life is in the U.S., even though that there are challenges and struggles. And our people have persevered longer than this country. America is only 350 years old. India, China, Japan, and over five millennia. We have survived. We will survive again. When we talk about current times and the struggles our community facing today, do you have the same approach in terms of the survivor mentality? Or do you think there's something different about the Asian American hate crimes that are happening today? I teach Asian American studies and also I teach law at Columbia University and at Hunter College. And we talk about the history of Asian Americans and our struggle for justice and recognition in America today. One of the things I've observed over the past 25 years is other movements for social change, civil rights movement, the LGBTQ movement, the women's rights movement. And one of the things that we know from those movements, I think is very applicable for the Asian American, South Asian community today is this. So remember Caroline Products footnote four, for those of you who are lawyers, remember <laughs> a discreet and insular minority. When that discreet and insular minority begins to get influence and power. There is a countervailing force that pushes back that. What we saw in the gay community is most of the incidents of anti-LGBTQ harassment happens in June during Pride Month. When we come out of the closet, someone pushes us back in. Now, the exception is trans communities. I think that those killings and harassment is happening really every day throughout the year. But you can see that when we come out, someone pushes us back. Asian Americans in the US have achieved so much, notwithstanding the minority myth, so many of us have worked hard and have achieved. We are educated. We are at top high schools, colleges, universities. We are at large corporate law firms. We are doing good work. We have worked hard for where mm -hmm. we are. And that success and that achievement is being now met with a resistance. What I found is that your work to make sure that the Voting Rights Act and the Constitution of the United States, that they fully come to bear on our community, has been met with a countervailing force. So what I am seeing in Georgia, what I'm seeing across the country is that the conditions are ripe for a pushback. And I'm sorry, that's difficult to hear, that's frustrating, that is wrong. It is also often true. We have been here before. Other communities have been here before, and now it is our turn. And what do you recommend that we Asian American attorneys do or continue doing to make sure that this pushback doesn't keep us down? Jane, there's a lot that we can do. And I think that there's a, 
couple of hundred media posts. You can donate, you can volunteer on walks, you can report, document, you can go to one of Asian American Advance and Justice at Hollowbacks, bystander training. So there's a lot that you can do in this moment. But it is not just this moment, but it is a movement for change that mm -hmm. I'm not so interested in something transactional as it is transformative. I'm working with a number of law firms across the country to train and speak with their Asian American associates about ways that we can center the Asian American experience in the work of companies and firms around diversity, equity, and inclusion. I taught here a lot of associates at law firms who tell me that they feel that the DEI work uh, is very focused on the Black and Latinx community. Mm -hmm. And that's very mm -hmm. legitimate. That's important because there are significant challenges that African-Americans and Latinx folk face in the law firms. Mm -hmm. And it is true. Asian-Americans and South Asians are the largest minority group of incoming associates. And yet attrition is a challenge right. and we have the lowest trajectory of making partner or being right. seen as ambitious or for leadership. And if there is a transformative moment, not for Asian Americans to gain awareness, but for our colleagues, our staffs, our partners to look at the Asian American experience and the microaggressions that we face, the toxicity that happens that are minor, seem benign, and yet chip away at our humanity every day. And let's use this as an opportunity to change that, to change the culture of the practice of the firms so that we can be better and that we can be fully recognized for all who, of who we are. That is what I think that this moment is about. Mm -hmm. You've so eloquently put it in terms of the Asian American experience. There's the external microaggressions that we face. And then there's the sense of agency in terms of what we can each do to fight those microaggressions. Do you believe Asian Americans have done a good job in standing up for ourselves in those contexts? And if not, what can Asian Americans do to take ownership of the fact that there is a problem and take agency over the fact that we can do something about it instead of waiting for permission to be accepted? That's an interesting question, Jane, because part of it is people are always blaming us or we are blaming ourselves for not speaking out. And yeah, I think we should too speak out. We should speak out for ourselves and we could speak out others. But some of us, we don't like to center ourselves. There are cultural values that our parents have taught us that you keep your head down and just work hard and you'll be fine. What's troubling is that the people in the eight victims in Atlanta and the eight victims in Indiana were also just working hard and maybe just kept their heads down and working hard did not protect them. And so on some level, yeah, we need to speak out. But Asians are also unique and that's not always our style. We are collaborative. We work really great in teams. We support a community and we stand together as a community. Now, the challenge is that sometimes those cultural values and practices that mom and dad had taught us and that we grew up with, especially if you were raised in Asia, doesn't comport as well with American business practices and trends 
of achievement and advancement. And so I don't want to say that we need to discard those values that has kept our community alive and thriving for 5,000 years to just say so we can advance today in America. Cannot America change to accommodate us and recognize our contributions? Is it not incumbent on the firms and in the leadership to say that we recognize the value of our Asian American employees and attorneys, that they can achieve and manage a team, they can pitch a client, they can manage budget, they can manage work streams, that is it not incumbent on leadership and corporate leaderships and GCs to recognize what we bring to the firm don't just keep us as the workhorse, but we can be the show horse and let us and support us advance. We call this mentoring. We call this peer support. We call this vouching. We call this sponsorship. That if America wants to find talent, the talent is here in our community, but they don't invest in us. They don't see us as ambitious. And yet so many people, so many of us are. We went to good schools, great colleges, or at fantastic law firms, and we do good work. Unfortunately, doing good work sometimes isn't enough. And while you shouldn't boast, because that's what my mom says, you should take advantage, you should recognize your achievements and make sure that others see that. Because if you do good work, that should be known. And that's not boasting, that's taking pride in your accomplishments at the firm, at the company, and at the team that you are in. I love that. Glenn, as you talk, I'm really in awe because we started out this conversation where you talked about how you grew up struggling as the only Asian kid in Queens, where you had all these suicidal thoughts. And now you're this huge advocate and confident leader in the community pulling other people through. Tell me about that journey toward confidence and acceptance and from what it seems like a lot of self-love. How did that come about for you? And how do you advise other people in accepting who they are and not just accepting it, but embracing their full identity? I will be honest, Jane. Sometimes I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm freaked out. The first time I appeared before Chief Jess Walker, of the Second Circuit. And my co-counsel said, you know who that is? And I said, uh, yeah, it's Chief Judge Walker. I'm prepared. I got it. She's no. Yes, it is. But he's the cousin of the president, George Walker Bush. And I found out later that the vice president, Cheney, had made a call into the court saying that this position of this case is very important to the president of the United States. Uh, and then I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. It was like first year law school when Judge Walker called on me and I was like sweating like you wouldn't know and like really freaking out. But when he called on me, he asked, what does the, the Asian American intervener say in this case? My voice got me high. <laughs> and I said, your honor, we contend that there's been a violation of the Civil Rights Act and the 14th Amendment of the United States. And I made my argument. We as lawyers have to project a level of confidence even if you don't have that confidence. You, you know, need to profess love and loving yourself 
But in this time, it's sometimes hard. We're single. Definitely. We're alone. We're quarantined. I have a teenager who just gives me drama and, and that doesn't make me feel very good. <laughs> it is a constant struggle to remind myself and each of other, what have we done? Where are we going? And what can we do? And, and that's why I you know, decided to transition last year from my last job at the National Queer Asian Pacific Islander Alliance where I've done great work to support the community at the intersection of racial justice, immigrant rights and queerness. I am so proud that Abney has supported me and that organization in the work. But last year I said, maybe it's time where if I was at a bigger organization, I could make bigger change. And I said, it's time to move. And I did it without a job. My mom said, you're crazy. You need, you don't have a job. And I'm like, my, I can get unemployment. Oh, in the middle of the pandemic, yes. It's fine. I'm consulting now. I'm helping communities out. I've always been mm -hmm. here and I'm happy to do what I can do to support the community. I love that. When you look back on your journey, do you have any regrets? The regret that I have, I think, in my past is that I didn't take certain risks. So I was a little risk adverse. I was afraid of failing. That there were things that came my way that I wasn't sure I would try it and that I would do it. And I regret that because I was too afraid to fail. And you know how it is. There's 10 things on a job announcement and I can only meet seven. Oh, I'm not qualified. Other guys, sorry, gentlemen, but you look at the job announcement, there's three. Oh, I can do that job. <laughs> As women and people of color and Asians, we are undervalue ourselves. We never mm. think we can do it. And others see that we lack ambition. Yo, I want to change the world. And if you want to close a $5 billion deal, if you want to win a $4 million case for that client, you go for it. You get on that team. Pitch the client. Mm -hmm. And as we said before, Jane, you may lack the confidence. You will always lack the confidence. Our profession is law. It is a practice. You will never get it right all the time. Mm. That is why it is a practice and I it is that. changing and evolving. Law is a hard job to do, but you have to present confidence, present that you are sure, because I assure you, if you are not confident, no one else will. We speak for people, we speak to keep them out of jail, to stop the domestic violence, to keep their homes. We change laws. We win money. We close deals. Our clients rely on us to be who and what we are for all that we have. So you present it. Now, you don't tell your clients that you'll ever make a mistake. You tell that to your partner, your, your colleagues, and you do the best that you can. And you might mess up. And you might do great. Mm. And do that. And that's the magic of it all. I'm 25 years out. I am still learning the law today. Did you ever want to be anything else but a civil rights attorney? 
Of course. You think I want to do law? I didn't <laughs> be a civil rights lawyer. I did not want to litigate the Constitution. My goal was not to become a lawyer. My goal was to make change so that we can all be appreciated and we can all be lifted up. And that's what I wanted to do. I chose law as that strategy. And I think I've done very well for almost 20 years. But then a few years ago, I transitioned to the National Queer Asian Pacific Island Alliance, which I talked about earlier. And I wasn't a lawyer that, in that group. I was a nonprofit executive, doing an executive manager, raising money, managing and coaching a staff, supporting communities. And then Trump got elected. Then I started filing a lot more cases. <laughs> so, you know, in California, Texas, New York, Georgia against the president. So it was very handy to be a lawyer. And now I'm looking at something bigger. I'm 25 years out and there are so many other things that I can do. I have another friend who was at a firm, went in-house at Mercedes-Benz, and then said she wants to do something else. And she opened up a wine tasting company. That's awesome. She, your career today, maybe your career tomorrow, it may not be the work that you do in 20 or to even 10 years from now. And that's okay. Be nimble, be open to opportunity, take those risks. Final question for you, Glenn. This is the whole lawyer project, which tries to showcase how we keep ourselves whole. What do you do to take care of Glenn every day? The way I take care of myself is I have my therapist. No shame in mental health, but yo. Definitely. Um, and I'm Asian and that's okay. How mm-hmm. do you get through this time without help? I don't know. So <laughs> I s- support myself. I have a network. I support others. And that's what gets me through every day. And it's programs like this, the whole lawyer projects, where I can talk about being an effeminate gay man, where I can talk about suicide, where I can talk about the Constitution of the United States, where I can talk about having therapy, being in therapy and achieving, where I can talk about supporting young people in the trajectory of their careers. We need others to support us and others should be supporting us. Thank you for all of you who are listening. If I could see you, and maybe I can in this modern technology, did you cover that video screen? (laughs) And you have the weight on your shoulders. You are stronger than Atlas. Remember who Atlas is? Carry that weight and you will go far. Thank you. Thank you for lifting us up.